John Jeffers, your host, founder, and executive producer here at the Contra Radio Network. This is the Jeffers Brief, and I will submit to you much-needed and valued information. Now, tonight, um, I got a lot of topics to cover. So I'm using my backup computer because the main computer, my primary computer crashed. Thank you, Microsoft. Shout out to you for that wonderful crappy update you sent out. That's for you, Microsoft. Thank you, idiots. All right. We've got Brian McClooney on the video Facebook. Good morning to Brian. He's on the other side of the pond in Northern Ireland monitoring all the stuff that is good here in America wishing he was here and how he could get here. And he will get here eventually someday. All right. Um, got a lot of topics. I'm not going to take any phone calls tonight because i got so much to do, uh, so much to discuss with you. Uh, first, uh, welcome. Let's see. Joe. Joe's in there. Hey, Joe. Glad you're here. If you want to join them on the video Facebook feed, just go to the uh, CRN group page. You will see it there. And join in on the live feed. That's great. Do not get on Rob's case too much from last night. Hey, there he is. Hey, Rob has his, uh, you know, we're still trying to work it out with his equipment. It's kind of hard to do long distance. It'll get better guys. In fact, it was so bad last night. I did Rob a favor and said, don't worry about it. We'll scrub that episode and we're going to launch you again. No, no big deal. Tim in North Carolina is here. Tim, hope you're feeling better. Glad you're here. All right. Let's get this rocking and rolling tonight. How many of you, aside from the president using bad words, as if we haven't heard them before, and the fact is he's telling the truth, why are you know, the mainstream media so upset about it? Well, anyways, um, we all heard and read about the uh, false... <laughs> I see Chuck is in the chat room throwing a fit. All right. Anyways, we just got started. Uh, I mean, I saw the false missile warning went to Hawaii. Yeah, okay. Which was dumb enough as it was. How many of you also saw the video of the guy putting his kids into the sewer system? For you new preppers out there, not a good idea. It's a sewer system. Lots of gas in there, some of it flammable. Do not. Yes, the alert works. Unfortunately, they don't have, they have not had the time or the training or the wherewithal to um, get their civil defense shelters operational again. Now, if you've ever been to Hawaii, I was a few years back. You drive along the highway, you know, 
I don't, I don't want to call it an interstate because it just goes around the island. It's not really an interstate. But anyways, uh, you look up into the mountains and the rocks, and I was doing it one day. I going on a tour bus heading out to the west side of the island to go swim with the dolphins, which, by the way, highly recommend. Go swim with them in the wild in the Pacific. It is a blast. It's a ball. It's worth every penny. And they give you lunch afterwards, which is even better. Um, we're driving down the highway. It's like, doom, 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 doom. And I'm looking. I said, what the? Are you kidding me? What it turned out, I was looking at it. was like the old bunkers from World War II that were drilled into the side of the mountains. But anyways, getting back to the video. Do not put anyone in the sewers. First of all, it's not going to withstand the overpressure from a nuclear blast. Two, it's an open-ended shelter. Three, in, when, the, when the nuclear impulse goes, boom, and off it goes, right? After that pulse, if you're not flash fried by then, all the air in that area, in that region, is going to be sucked into the blast, into the stem, into the mushroom cloud, because all that fire is just sucking oxygen as fast as it can. And it's taking it from everywhere. Not to mention that being in the sewer system, it's not, I repeat, not a bomb shelter. It's not. I saw that and I'm thinking to myself, you know, people my age grew up under the threat of nuclear war during the Cold War. There was always a threat. Most of you don't even know or remember when they had the Connell Rad going off on the TV. You probably don't even know what I'm talking about. That's because you were not, did not grow up under the threat of nuclear war with the Russians. Now, what we're going to talk about tonight, and this is important. Everything I tell you is important. It's valuable information. You need to know it. By the way, if you're saying, gee, the video looks kind of odd, I've got to use my backup laptop, as I said, so it is what it is. So with that said, with that said, okay, let's, do, let's talk about this. Let's talk about how to prepare for and survive a nuclear war. This is from Prepping 101. is written by Mark. I want you to just, I don't care whether you agree with it or not, but listen to it. Look. Everything I tell you, I don't expect you to agree with. I expect you to be smart enough to listen to it and at least evaluate it, which most, if not 95% of you listeners out there do evaluate what I'm telling you. Whether you use it or not, well, that's completely up to you. Don't use it. Don't use it. God love you. Hope you work. hope it works out for you. So this was uh, written some time ago. I want to say, when, was it, when did this come through? Oh, man. I want to say it came through probably sometime in the late summer, early fall, maybe. Does that sound right? Maybe. All right. So it's somewhat dated from a few months ago. So it says, with this month's claim test of a hydrogen nuclear device, North Korea is one step closer to making good on its threat to nuke some portion of the USA or its territories. It is still not an imminent threat since North Korea apparently lacks the technology to build a warhead that can withstand the extreme heat of high-speed reentry into the atmosphere. The last two missile warheads burned up on reentry. So what's even more disturbing is that North Korea has been suspected of being the trigger event 
for a third world war between Russia and China and the United States. So with President Trump threatening a military response, it's time to take nuclear preparation seriously. Now, that said, I don't think Russia or China are ready yet to take on the U.S. in a full-blown war until the next decade or so. So it is still possible that another Korean war on the peninsula may not cause Chinese or Russian intervention, though you should count on that as an absolute. First, let's be clear about one thing. Nuclear war is very survivable, even with minimal preparations. So don't believe the everyone is going to die claims about nuclear winter and total destruction. 50% of Hiroshima survived without any preparations, though many were very sick. But keep in mind, too, that even Russian and Chinese war doctrine doesn't include nuking American cities on a first strike, despite the verbal threats. In reality, they intend to nuke U.S. and NATO military facilities first and then blackmail the West into submission. Now, there are three phases of a nuclear war that you must be prepared to confront. One, initial blast and radiation. But the blast area of destruction is only five to seven miles from any nuclear target. So don't prepare against blast effects, which is very expensive. Relocate instead. Avert your eyes immediately from even a distant explosion and duck behind anything that will shield you from the instantaneous line of sight radiation and intense heat and light. Most will never see any blast effects, but almost everyone will have to deal with residual radiation Anywhere from two weeks to a month, which is not that difficult if you prepare in advance. Number two, now immediate panic and cutoff of electricity and supplies. Because both Russian and Chinese nuclear doctrine dictates the use of high-altitude nuclear, here we go, electromagnetic pulse weapons, EMP, just before a physical nuclear strike. The electric grid will go down, which guarantees a lot of panic as people are plunged into darkness. Don't believe me? You know, you're sitting in the winter. Here in the winter, winter storm comes, knocks up electricity. Everybody goes, <gasps> all right. So there'll be a lack of communication and the cessation of all government services like what? Sewer and water. Unless, you know, that's why I keep telling you, if you've got a, a well, if you've got well water for your house, have a backup battery for your well, and you will have water. All right. So don't believe the hype about Iran and or North Korea doing an EMP strike. It takes six simultaneous high-altitude nuclear weapons exploding to blanket the entire U.S. grid, not one. So only Russia and China have that capacity. Remember, two that a total loss of electricity, including all TV and radio, may be your best immediate warning that a physical nuclear strike is about to fall within 15 or 20 minutes. Now, look, it's not a lot of time. That doesn't mean you go put your children in the fucking sewer. I've been waiting all week to talk about that stupid video. I can't get it out of my mind because it's so stupid. You want your children to die alone in the sewer? That's up to you. I don't recommend it. So, uh, look. So, the nuclear strike is about to fall within 15 or 20 minutes. That's not a lot of time. But it may allow you to get a head start out of town or make a quick call to warn the family. Now, this threat requires preparation, 
to get to your secured home or retreat very quickly without getting caught in major traffic snarls. Don't get on a freeway that is already packed. Use secondary roads and map out routes that allow you to cross any freeways at an over or underpass not associated with an on-ramp or an exit. Those are are the only ones not blocked with traffic. Got it? I'll say it again. And we've seen them. You've been in the interstate, you see the overpass, but there's no on-ramp or exit ramp. Those are the ones you're looking for. If you decide that you're special and you'll have your own drug, you know, own traffic lane. Yeah. Good luck. Ain't going to happen. Number three, long-term famine and social unrest. This gets into full swing within three days of an attack and may last more than a year, depending on how quickly parts of the grid can come back up and how well industry can reestablish supply lines. Now, don't expect it, all right? Well, it's hard to predict how these things will play out. This is where your long-term food and water storage supplies come in. Don't expect to be able to grow a garden that first year in a suburban area during high levels of social unrest without lots of theft. That will only be possible in rural and secluded areas. And that's where having a rural retreat is a good long-term solution, provided you can afford that or you already live there. So let's talk about it. The, the, the main threat, first threat you're going to have to deal with is surviving radiation. It takes a heavy mass of materials to shield from gamma radiation, which is much more potent than x-rays. So forget about using medical-grade x-ray shielding materials. Your wooden house and roofing materials are like paper to gamma rays. So not much shielding there either. So there. So nuclear protection purists would demand a reduction in radiation that is almost total requiring, get this, you guys are going to love this, 13.8 feet of water, 10 feet of earth, 6 feet of concrete, or about 1.3 feet of lead, a protection factor of a billion, all of which are very costly to achieve. So let's discuss relative protection factors from various materials, shall we? As a practical matter, we have to arrive at a compromise between cost of construction and shielding. You need, le- you need less shielding the farther you are away from an explosion since radioactive dust starts to fall out from the sky closest to the detonation and only the finer high-altitude particles travel longer distances depending on what? The wind direction. So in short, you get less radiation the farther from blast zones you are located. No, that's true. That's very true. Oh, boy. <clears throat> I've already started. Well, wow. only 15 minutes into it. Grab something to drink here. Oh, tonight we're drinking vitamin water zero. One gram of sugar. So I like that. I like it. Now, for example, immediately to the west of Seattle, which has multiple nuclear targets, right, Don? Around the Puget Sound, including the Trident submarine base you would probably need a PF of 1,000 to shield against several inches of radioactive dust on what? Your roof. That amounts to 22 inches of concrete or three feet of dirt. But further to the west in Idaho, the radioactive dust from Seattle would be a fracture of that requiring much less shielding. Got it? Now, many experts... Demand a one-size-fits-all PF of 1,000, but that means 
that very few could afford to build a shelter or a safe room. And they don't. They really don't. Because most areas of the country, not directly downwind or within 50 miles of a blast, are not subject to those high levels. Most people can survive with a protection factor of only 32, meaning that the radiation level is reduced to 132nd of normal. That involves 12 inches of concrete over your basement shelter, not 22 inches, which is doable, and it's not too costly. Because of the much higher cost of protection close into the target areas, I recommend that your money is better spent relocating, even in the same general area, to avoid being directly downwind or close to a nuclear target. Now, for those of you who don't, I will be posting a nuclear strike map of the United States. Yes. Find where you are. Know it. Learn it. Live it. Now, let's choose a type of shelter. Your two basic choices are to buy a prefabricated tank-style shelter that is buried underground or build a basement-style shelter within your own home or as an extension. The only advantages to the buried tank shelter are that it is quicker to install and covering with dirt is cheaper than what? Say it together. Concrete. There you go. See, you guys are smart. However, they are more expensive per square foot of usable space, and they often come designed with expensive blast doors and valves, which you don't need outside of a blast area. Sadly, many are also designed with costly NBC or HEPA filters inside the shelter, but the sheet metal fiber enclosures are not thick enough to stop radiation trapped in the filter from reaching those inside the shelter. The average cost is 50 to 75 k and you can build a lot of basement for that price. Now, the, But the worst problem with buried shelters is the fact that you have to go outside and open a hatch to get inside. The notoriety of bringing a huge tank shelter on a semi-truck and buried in your backyard with a crane guarantees, I promise you, guarantees that the whole neighborhood is going to know about it. And when it all goes to hell, you're going to get this. Let me in! Let me in! I'm sorry. Your request is denied. We submit 90 days for further disapproval. All right. So how do you get... I mean, how do you get in if that interest is surrounded by others wanting shelter? All your loading of supplies and equipment is down through that vertical ladder well, which is not easy. In addition... The ventilation pipes emerge from the ground and are subject to what? Tampering or blocking. If you do use a buried shelter, put a shed or a building over it. That way the vents are protected from viewing and tampering. Still, you have to cross open ground against the shed, which is a security risk, as you are well aware of. <coughs> Man. The basement shelter avoids all those disadvantages since you access it and stock it with supplies from within your home. No one can view any of that activity. Vents go up to the walls, into the attic, and HEPA filters can be concealed in or under normal cabinets. The basement safe room or shelter, never call it a bunker, it's also easier to conceal, and it should be concealed. In cases of massive social unrest, you want to have the option of avoiding confrontation by hiding out in a concealed safe room with a steel security door, communications, and alternate battery-powered electricity. If 
If you do an extension to your home with a basement shelter underneath, label the basement part as non-livable, storage only, and don't show any of that plumbing that might pertain to the future shelter. Install all of that after the occupancy permit is granted. This, now, there's a book called The Secure Home. has all the architectural details on how to do that, plus detailed listings of all equipment necessary to outfit the shelter. But if you have an existing basement, the best way to achieve total privacy without a permanent inspection is to build a concealed shelter within the basement. And there are engineering plans for just that as well. Now, as a minimum, prepare your home to give you added protection without a formal shelter. And the basement, that would involve building two addition stacked walls of concrete blocks, six feet high, eight feet across, into a corner of a room away from any window, but leaving a 24-inch entryway. Cover that with a makeshift ceiling of 2 by 4 on 12-inch centers with 3 quarter inch plywood. I'll say that again. Cover that with a makeshift ceiling of 2 by 4s on 12-inch centers with 3 quarter inch plywood. Okay? Now, then stack three levels, solid 4-inch concrete blocks on top of that makeshift ceiling. This will give you the minimum radiation protection you need. And you've got to have a porta potty inside as well as some food and stored water. Look, it's going to be tight, but at least you'll survive. If you don't have a basement, you'll have to do four block walls inside an above-ground room to get the sidewall protection. Do the lowered ceiling on top of those four six-foot-high walls. Now, it takes about two weeks for gamma rays to dissipate, so you will need to buy a radiation meter. Which, by the way, three weeks ago, we put a bunch of them that were on sale on the CRN group page, on the CRN like page, there on Facebook. So, yeah, it's there. Now, the radiation meter will tell you when it's safe to come out or go back into the shelter. Since in a war, there may be multiple nuclear events. Got it? What do you think about that? You like it? You don't like it? What are you thinking? Mm-hmm. 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 All right. That was how to prepare for it. Uh, for those that are not sure, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If you want to read it yourself, I'm posting it now on the CRN group page, so you will have it for your own personal reading pleasure. Number six, what are we going to talk about next? I want to talk about survival basics. Controlling your core temperature. It's wintertime. What if for God forbid the grid goes down, you're going to have to know these things. It's from Final Prepper. They're ready for uncertain times. And here at CRN, that's what we look at. Now, the core concept of a survival in just about any situation is rule threes. If you don't know this rule, is that you can generally live three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, and three weeks without food. Let me tell you, that's three days without water. 
after day two, when you're 36 you're 36 hours into your three days without water, it's going to be really tough. Now, we are going to be looking at shelter, or more specifically, how your body reacts when we don't have sufficient shelter to help us regulate our body temperature, along with making sure you have plenty of food stored for your family and a sufficient source of water. You need to ensure that lack of shelter is not going to be a killer for your group. Are you listening to me out there, prepper leaders? Are you listening? The optimal environment for a human to maintain their core body temperature is between 79 and 86 degrees Fahrenheit. The science of keeping your body in the zone of this ideal temperature is thermal regulation. Now, thermal regulation can be the difference between living and dying and is the practice of controlling your core temperature. Every year, people die from power outages during heat waves or winter weather. Simple variations in environmental temperatures between 30 and 50 degrees have wrecked havoc worldwide, and many die from hypothermia to hypothermia. There's hypothermia or hyperthermia. (coughs) Man. Oh, God, I hate it up here. Minimal fluctuations to core temperatures can stress the human body and throw its vital systems into chaos. In the event of stress, right, Tim? Things can get pretty ugly and actually break down at the cellular level. If your temperature suddenly plummets, the proteins in your cells clump together, leaving behind areas of water that could potentially freeze and shred the delicate cell membranes. If your body overheats, the cells become too warm and essentially melt. Any stress at the cellular level will cause immense damage to all the body's organs and systems needed for survival. Let's talk about hypothermia. HYPO, hypothermia, is the condition when your core temperature plummets below approximately 96 degrees Fahrenheit. There are variables to the exact temperature, of course, when considering age, sex, percentage of body fat, or even time of day. Suffering from even mild hypothermia can cause your body to burn through a ton of calories trying to keep your body and vital, vital organs heated. And this, in turn, will cut into your body's food stores. Your body will also limit the amount of blood flowing to your extremities, making them more susceptible to damage and impairment. Now, shivering is another way for your body to create heat to keep you warm. While shivering, your body is creating tiny muscle contractions, thereby using energy and heating up the body. Unfortunately, shivering also burns through the food stores in the process. Perthermia. Case in point. Hey, guys. Hypothermia. Those people on the Titanic, when they jumped in the water, they had maybe three minutes. And that's why they found them the way they were. Because the water was below freezing. Okay? Anyways, just an example. Hyperthermia, H-Y-P-E-R, hyperthermia is when your core temperature soars above 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Again, this can vary, but this gives you a good guideline for sustaining a healthy condition when exposed to less than ideal temperatures. Generally, in the case of hypothermia, your body will succumb to dehydration. Your body's first line of defense is to circulate more than four quarts of blood per minute, dilate the blood vessels, and open the skin up to let excess heat out. That is why being dehydrated is so deadly. Dehydration thickens your blood, making it more difficult to circulate and do its job. Your body also perspires, leaving your skin wet and cooling the outer core. Now, thankfully, your body has a built-in alarm system to alert you or someone close to you that your body is stressed by either 
hypothermia or hyperthermia. So let's look at the stages of hypothermia. First signs and symptoms, core temperature is at 95 to 96 degrees Fahrenheit. Shivering, decreased alertness, unable to think clearly, <coughs> minor loss of function in fingers and toes, staining pain in the extremities and confusion. Simply put, you have to maintain your core temperature. People with mild hypothermia can warm themselves with additional dry layers or by stopping their feet. Simple physical exertion is a wonderful cure when you are cold. The old saying with the wood fire is that it warms you twice. Once when the fire is burning, and another time when you're out chopping and hauling the wood. Advanced signs and symptoms. This is when your core temperature is at 93 to 94 degrees Fahrenheit. Uncontrollable shivering, lack of stability, increased lack of clarity. Now get the affected person indoors. If possible, rub cold areas. Do oh, so You can use the buddy system and have the warmth from one person help another person. In the Army, they said if your buddy has cold feet, you should take off his socks and stick them on your belly or in your armpits. <laughs> That'll be the day. Serious signs and symptoms. Core temperature is critical. You're at 91 to 92 degrees Fahrenheit. Gray skin. Hallucinations. Oh, that, that's much like snowflakes. Increased lack of stability. Snowflakes. Speech affected, snowflakes. Spasmodic shivering, snowflakes. For more serious signs of hypothermia, internal heating methods should be tried along with external warmth. Warm, not hot, fluids should be consumed also. This is Now let's get to the mortal signs and symptoms. This is when you're in, you're in deep doo-doo. Core temperature, 87 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Inability to walk. Incoherent speech. Shivering is decreased. Those just sounds just like liberal snowflakes. See it all the time. As with hyperthermia, if the body temperature gets this low, medical help is almost always needed. Now let's talk about the stages of hyperthermia. The early signs and symptoms. This is when your core temperature is between 99 and 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Nausea, dizziness, headache, thirst, lack of appetite. Muscle spasms, you're feeling weak, profuse sweating. To treat mild cases of hyperthermia, we need to first remove the underlying source of the heat. If the symptoms are increased by exertion on a hot day, we can treat the person with increased water consumption and rest in a cool space. The advanced signs of hyperthermia, when your core temperature is at 101, 102. For you parents out there, when, you're, when your child... Had the, has the flu, and they're burning up at 100, 102, you know you need you take them to the emergency room right off the bat. But what if you don't have that possibility? So the advanced signs of hyperthermia, dizziness, headache, profuse sweating, thirst, disorientation, cramps, pale, moist skin, possible unconsciousness, weak, rapid pulse and or breathing, lack of appetite, nausea and or vomiting. To treat hyperthermia, we can additionally use rest and cool shady area. Removing some articles of clothing and sponging down the head, neck, and trunk will reduce body temperature. Additional water consumption is mandatory. Immersion in a cool bath or body of water can help also. That doesn't mean you throw them into the pool by themselves and say good luck. 
It won't work. They will die. All right, moral signs and symptoms. This is when your core temperature is at 103, 106, and you're, and you're starting to literally boil yourself to death. Disorientation, delirium, unresponsive. The skin is hot to touch. It can be dry. Shallow breathing, dilated pupils, seizures, strokes, and coma. When the body temperature is this elevated, medical assistance is almost always needed. But in a survival situation, it's not going to be possible. It may not be possible. The body must be cooled as quickly as possible, and methods such as iced IV solutions aren't uncommon. It's crucial. We don't get to this point, so maintain close watch over your group and heat situations. Let's talk about clothing options. Wearing the proper clothing is vital so as not to inhibit, but to aid the body's natural defenses against hypothermia and hyperthermia. Wearing proper clothing will help you adapt to any weather situation. So you've got to get a three-layer system here. Base layer should be wicking to keep you dry and non-restrictive when keeping you warm to allow blood to flow freely. Two, an insulation layer should be next and can be removed or added as temperatures rise or fall. Number three, the last layer is the environmental layer, which should be loose-fitting, water-resistant, and breathable to allow moisture to flow through the fabric so as not to be trapped. That's why I wear the M65 field jacket with this insulation layer. Love it. To test whether a fabric is water-resistant and breathable, you should put your hand on the inside and breathe onto it from the outside. If you feel the warmth of your breath, then it is water-resistant. Remember that the layering system should be used uh, in a hot climate as well. Some people feel that a tank top and shorts are the best clothing system, but unprotected skin only exposes your skin to the radiation of the sun. Save the skimpy clothes for the beach when you're on vacation and not in a survival situation. Believe it or not, hats are another important part of clothing to give the body added protection. It is good to have a wide-brimmed, water-resistant hat that will block out the sun's rays in the warmer climate and a snug warm hat made of fleece or wool for colder temperatures to keep your heat in your head. Fabric choices. Now, this is, you know what? Should we need to talk about fabric choices? Do we need to do that? Or are we able to figure this out on our own? I don't know. That's what I want to know. I think we do. So we will do it. What do we want to talk about? Cotton and linen are the best suited for hot climates. You know that. Polypropylene is as unnatural as they come, but has incredible wicking capabilities and it's lightweight. And to get a spark from the campfire, it will cause the fabric to melt. It also holds a stench of sweat so well that you will never get the odor out. Not a good base layer to wear if you are trying to repopulate the world. The ladies will not be impressed. Wool is a natural fabric and has the ability to absorb water up to 50% of its weight and distribute it throughout the fabric without feeling wet. It even has the ability to keep you toasty warm even when wet, making it a natural choice in the winter where weight isn't a factor. There are different qualities of wool, so be thoughtful in your purpose or purchase, rather. Um, for those of you who remember your kid, your mom bought you that wool sweater and you hated it because it was itchy. The truth is, 
the better quality wools do not feel scratchy. The downside to wool is that it's bulky and takes longer to dry. Now let's talk about polyester. It's completely man-made, but it offers the widest range of clothing choices. It can absorb a good deal of water. <laughs> that, yeah, right. And it's somewhat water-resistant. Not. And it's not versatile. How do I know? Because my uniforms are made from that poly. Well, it's a polyester cotton blend, and it melted. If you got a, you know, the magnesium, you know, on a you know, traffic road, road flare, it catches you. It melts right through it. That was always so much fun. Yeah, polyester sucks. Nylon is a super tough synthetic fabric. Most of the waterproof fabrics are made from nylon with a special coating. Try to avoid completely waterproof fa- fabrics, though unless you are a sailor because it lacks breathability. Nylon dries almost instantly. Now, down is lightweight and very warm. However, it is much like cotton. It will weigh you down and freeze you to death if it gets wet, and it's very slow to dry. Now, there you have it. I gave you some stuff here. It's a lot of information, especially with, you know, maintain your core temperature. And again... I will post this on the group page and on the like page. So if you want to reference it or look it over, read it at your pleasure, please do. What's the point if you don't learn from it? You don't, you know, do anything about it. No, we're not going to put it on that radio show. We'll put it on this radio show. There we go. Ta-da! Done. All right. Let's see what else I got here. I'm not taking calls tonight. Not going to do it. Mm-hmm. All right. How much time have I got left? Oh, plenty of time. Plenty, plenty, plenty. All right, here you go. 10 defensive shooting tips that could save your life. Could. Doesn't mean it, but you need to know it. Most of us know these, but we got new people that join here all the time. Let's try to get them up to speed as quickly as possible. Because as preppers, we never know when, you know, bad juju is going to come down on us. And if you're a patriot, you should know these things. If you want to be a patriot, you should know these things. Owning a gun is one thing, but knowing how to wield it is something else entirely. You know that. If you don't know how to properly use your firearm in a self-defensive situation, not only do your chances of survival go down, but your chances of actually harming yourself or somebody else goes up. That is true. You've seen the videos. I've posted videos of these people. And everybody's laughing. I said, don't laugh. Don't laugh. This is bad. Now, fortunately, this could all be cured by just a little bit of regular practice on the shooting range where you can train with your defensive shooting skills and grow comfortable with your weapon of choice. Now, the tips we're going to talk about apply regardless of what type of firearm you're using. Top 10 defensive shooting tips that could save your life. Number one, buy enough ammo. What good is a gun without ammo? It could serve you well as a club, but that's about it. Therefore, the first defensive shooting tip is to actually buy enough ammo 
to practice your defensive shooting in the first place. Since ammo is a little costly, you can get around this by making a habit to buy just one or two boxes a week. Your stockpile will grow steadily as a result. Oh, what brand do I like? I like IWI, Israeli War Industries. They always got fresh ammo. Number two, get a proper firing grip. Hold a handgun correctly. Don't be doing this crap. You could because that's a natural. Actually, you think about it. It is a natural position to hold your weapon like this because your arm is like this. Raise up your arm. If you go like that, it's a little bit more of a twist on there like this. See, the gangbangers did teach us all something there. So you need to have both both hands wrapped firmly around the grip of the gun with both of your thumbs forward. The fingers of your weak hand should be wrapped around the fingers of your firing hand. Hold the gun at eye level so you can peer down the sights. Number three, line up your sights. I know. Like, look, guys, you're laughing about this. I, You've been to the range. You've seen these fools. Line up your front sight to your rear sight. You want the front sight to be aimed directly at the target. Your eye should then be focused directly on the front sight. Your rear sight and your environment beyond the front sight should therefore be a little blurry. Number four, this is hard for a lot of people. Number four, you got to keep both eyes open. You know, we're, we're dominant eyed creatures. So we have a tendency to, you know, it's a natural thing to do is to shut your non-dominant eye when peering down the sights of a firearm. Big mistake for two reasons. One, it causes extreme fatigue in your eyelids and it shuts off half of your field of vision. So you may not be able to see an enemy approaching coming from the weak side. Remedy this by keeping your front eye wide open and your second eye squinted, but still open. Number five, keep your finger indexed. How many times have we seen when they got their finger on the trigger and they're just standing there? We've seen it all the time. One of the core rules of gun safety, never place your finger on the trigger until you are ready to destroy something or shoot. Keep your finger trigger index. I mean, it's resting along the frame of the handgun above the trigger guard. Do not run with your finger on the trigger. If you stumble, if you trip, that weapon's going to discharge. I promise you that. And where it is aimed, I have no idea. Number six, control your firing. Spraying and praying with guns is fun in the video games, but it's a horrible shooting technique in real life. It makes the gun uncontrollable, decreases your chance of hitting your target, and increases your chance of what? Accidentally accidentally hitting someone else who you didn't want to. You know what? I don't even call that accidentally hitting someone else. That's just plain negligence on your part. So rather... Control your firing so each individual shot is deliberate. If you want to practice double taps, that's fine. But you should never fire any rounds that you didn't intend to or that were out of your control. Avoid flinching as well, where you jerk the gun when it doesn't fire. They call it flinching. I call it anticipation. I've always been called, I've always been told that you're anticipating the round being fired, the gun going off. To practice not flinching, load some live rounds and dummy rounds into your magazine, but no, don't know the order they are in. When the primer hits a dummy round and you flinch, you'll need to correct that. 
Number seven, this is tactically very important. Number seven, I think we'll all agree, you have to learn to reload without looking. Looking at your gun while fumbling around with the reload is a terrible thing to do. It removes your focus from the environment, and it shows you're not a properly trained shooter. Therefore, put lots of practice into swapping out magazines and racking the slide to rechamber the weapon. Keep your eyes focused on the environment around you. As you eject the spent magazine, draw a fresh new one, insert into the weapon, and rack the slide. Draw the gun in closer to you when you reload as well before reassuming a natural and proper firing stance. I would also add this. If you you know when you're shooting, you're going to be doing a uh, reload very shortly. You need to find a place with cover to do your exchange. Don't stand out in front of God's country, in front of God and everybody, trying to do a, a reload. Find some cover. Find some concealment to do your reload. Because I'll tell you right now, if I'm in a gunfight and I see some moron out there, standing there in front of me trying to reload, oh, yeah, I've got the advantage now. You can't stop me. I don't care how fast you reload. I got you right in the middle, and you haven't got any ammunition left. Why? Because I see that you're, well, you know what I'm talking about. You see, I can see your slide locked back. I know you have no ammunition. You're mine. Number eight, know how to shoot one-handed. You know, some defensive scenarios may require you to only shoot one-handed if you need to act quickly. Therefore, practice shooting one-handed as well. And also shoot weak-handed. You know, dominant hand, weak hand, dominant hand, weak hand. You need to know how to shoot one-handed from both sides. Something to think about. All right. You got to learn how to clear jams. <clears throat> if you buy a decent weapon, such as a six hour, you need not worry about it. <laughs> if you, it doesn't matter if you purchase the most reliable pistol on the planet. Experiencing a jam is a very real possibility. Uh, just as you must practice reloading, you must also practice clearing jams as well, so you get back into the fight. Now there are. are what I call a phase one clearance drill and a phase two clearance drill. Phase two takes a little bit longer, but you have to know how to do a phase two in case the phase one does not work. So you must practice clearing jams as well as you get back into the fight. Standard procedure with a jam is to firmly tap the magazine. Most jams are caused by a not fully inserted magazine and then rack the slide to eject the failed round. If this fails, Eject the existing magazine and load in a new one and rack it again. There's a lot more to that at a phase two. If this also fails to clear the weapon, you have a bigger problem on your hands. Now, what they're talking about is this. Uh, phase one is tap, rack, bang. Tap the magazine, I rack the weapon, I go bang. Uh, phase two, similar to a phase one, but what happens is you do a when you do a phase two, you're doing a phase one, and then you're going to crack the uh, uh, magazine again. See, it's rack, rack, rack. you got to get that jam out of there. Generally, it's called a double feed. 
I've seen it a couple times, and it's a motherfucker to get out. But it can't be done. So what you do is you're going to have to do a phase two. When you sit there, you got to rip. And I mean, you got to rip that magazine out because it's all fucked up in there. You got to rack, then you got to rack, rack, rack. Turn the side sideways. Turn it this way, your ejection port. Rack, rack, rack. Because you got to clear those, the double feed out of there and any other uh, uh, obstacles in there. Put a new one in there, new magazine in the well. Crack it, rack it, and bang. Got it? Okay. Clear as mud, yes. And then number 10, practice a lot. You know, practice does make perfect. Practicing your weapon on the shooting range is not going to cut it. Make it a rule that you'll practice on the shooting range a minimum of once per month with a minimum of 250 rounds fired each time. Now, here comes something you need to think about. You know, between owning two guns and not knowing how to use either of them, or owning one gun and being a master at it, the second option is certainly more preferable if you're serious about defending your life. So talk about, you know, take what we've talked about tonight. I'll post it, read it, apply it. You know what I'm saying? Are we good? Yes. Here we go. Going to post it again on the CRN group page. And I'll post it on the CRN like page. Why? Because it's necessary. Because I want my audience to be safe, smart, and still around after the grid goes down. Well, it's true. I mean, what are we going to do? No, we're not going to sit there and put on that radio show. We'll put it on my radio show. There we go. All right, we're good. Now, what else we got here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I'm reading some of the stuff here. And um, uh, what do I want to call it? The uh, the comments, the feed, really good stuff here. Um, let's see, mm-hmm. Tim says the ammo is at a ten to fifteen year low right now. I'm assuming he's meaning the price, which is probably true. And it is true, Tim. You got to know your target and what's beyond. For you guys out in California, you know it's amazing how the legislature, oops, how the legislature um, did the managed to um, exempt themselves from the own laws they passed with firearms. Guns for me, but not for thee. You know, it's very easy for me to sit here and say, you know what? You get what you vote for. Not necessarily. Because if you live in the eastern half of of California, you're generally conservative. Your problem is you're being outvoted constantly by the lefty snowflakes on the west side of California, along the coastline. You, You guys can't win. That's why you have a legislature that is absolutely on just this side of being the people's deputies in a communist system. They don't have to pay gas tax, but you do. So, yeah. Matt, you know, and, and California's not the only one. You know, you watch, watch New York City, you know, it's the same problem. You don't always have, you know, 
Like I said, it's very easy for me to sit here and say, you get what you vote for. Elections have consequences. Well, they do. They do have consequences, and it sucks. So what do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You either move out or you start uh, becoming more involved in the political process. doesn't always mean you're going to win. You know, I participated in several uh, campaigns uh, for men and women that wanted to be a sheriff here in the county. And I got to tell you, by the time, the, the day before the election, I swear to God, I was puking blood. Because you get so wrapped up emotionally in it and emotionally invested into it. It's like, oh, God. So, anyways, got a few minutes, if that. So, I hope you found this, this information we talked about extremely um, interesting, useful, and feel free to pass it on. Now, for the rest of you, if you haven't been to the CRN uh, store, Look, I got my sweatshirt. Rob just got his shirt today. He lo- That's a good-looking sweatshirt, Rob, I'm telling you. Or a good-looking T-shirt you got there. I like that. I may have to go order some more stuff. For the rest of you, I know who you are. I know whether you've visited the store or not and whether you've registered to become a customer because I see the list all the time. It's being generated. I got hats. I got winter hats. I got summer hats. I got sweatshirts, T-shirts, long-sleeve T-shirts, jackets, all kinds of stuff. 86 items for sale at the CRN store. What are you waiting for? Go order. All right, that you help me maintain this show. And I think I'm going to have to end up buying another laptop as a backup just in case. Anyways. For those of you that join me tonight, I say thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. I do, I do. Thank you, thank you. Pass the word along to your friends, and just remember, support Rob. I think uh, Rob's talking about he wants to try a show on Monday night. That's fine. We can do Monday nights for him. But uh, he forgot to check a setting that he and I were playing with earlier uh, in the week. But... That's been corrected. So, I'm, you know, it takes a bit of practice, guys. Believe me. As somebody that started off doing it myself, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I hope this works. Is it working? I don't know. So, yeah. So, there it is. It does happen. It takes a little bit of experience to get with it. Uh, Dawn likes to do it in videos with her, with her show. That's fine. I don't care. We're going to get Rob rocking and rolling, too. All right, with that said, with that said, if you happen to live in California and you can escape, please do. Um, I don't, you know, I really feel sorry for the conservatives in California. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to have, um, hmm, that's interesting, Joe. He wants me to get some CRN golf balls. I'll see if I can do that. They got them. Um, what I was going to say is it's very frustrating. Every time you go to vote, you're being outvoted, outvoted, outvoted. And you know that you know that you know that you know that you know. There's nothing more frustrating than that. Believe me. I know. 
I want to say goodnight to uh, Brian McClooney over in Northern Ireland. Brian, thanks for joining me, buddy. I know it's like 2 or 3 o'clock and your time. Have a good day at work tomorrow. Joe, I'll look into the golf balls. That might be pretty cool to do if I can find them. That might be pretty, pretty neat, I think. We'll see what we can do with it. All right. For those of you, thank you again for joining me. For my proper and patriot friends, I say this. Be safe, be alert, and be vigilant. Keep prepping. Get your groups together. You don't have a group, make your form your own group. There's nothing that says you cannot have your own group. Make your own group. You'd be surprised. You might get more people than you realize. I'm John Jeffers here at the Contrario Network saying good night. Thank you for listening. And don't forget Dawn's show coming up Friday, and we'll do for Joe on Monday. All right, then. Thank you again, and good night. Hope you like the new uh, theme song to the beginning of the show. New show title, new music. Good night. Have a good one.